Um, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, I'm going to pray real quick for Kevin and then hand it over to him. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have, this sweet, sweet time to be together. And I just pray that we would be grateful for every moment, that we wouldn't take anything for granted, even just the freedom to be here openly today worshiping you. And I just pray that we would, again, not take this for granted and really be attentive and listen and get from this what we need to hear and that your spirit would be at work in Kevin and also in our hearts that may, we may receive his message. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Karis once again. What I'm going to share now is a little bit embarrassing, but if you know me, you won't be surprised. Um, I didn't have the best uh, days at the beginning of the week, um, Sunday and Monday of this past week. Um, To be clear, our gathering here Sunday was great. Aaron did a terrific job rounding out the, the Lord's Prayer. The day at home with the family was great. The Chiefs won. That was perfect. No surprise there. But then I heard some troubling information about my other, I'd say my main sports love, that put me in a pretty foul mood, okay? So not even two days after we defeated Arkansas, became bowl eligible, I read that Sunday morning um, on PowerMizzou.com that our leading receiver, arguably our best player, had entered the transfer portal and would be taking his talents elsewhere. I actually already knew this was going to happen, You know, my son's friend who works in the locker room had already told us that information, but regardless, the reality sunk in, it hit me in the gut and got me down. Not just about the future of our team, but what was happening in the sport that I had followed since childhood. Now players could suddenly just drop everything, they could run after the highest bid, and I happened to not follow the team, you know, with the big piles of cash out behind, and it left me pretty sad, even mad. Could we not even just celebrate a win for a week? It could be that I've spent a little bit too much time thinking about Missouri football. Well, my start to the week, I think, illustrates what we need to grapple with here in this passage. But before we flesh it out, I want us to just think about where we find ourselves in the Word of God. We've been slowly walking through the book of Matthew. We're in the middle of Christ's famous Sermon on the Mount. And what comes before the passage? Well, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, which we took, I don't know, two or three months on, um, Jesus warns against hypocrisy. So when we do our giving and our praying and our fasting to impress those around us, instead of out of love for a father above us, we choose a fleeting earthly award over one that's from heaven and lasts forever. Well, here, beginning in verse 19, Christ warns of the perils of idolatry, of turning to things that won't last, the things of this earth, and he, danger, he warns us of the dangers of making that our reward. And we see these familiar words that Sarah just read, verses 19 through 21, and what we see is a danger, or we see a warning, and then we see a reason for that warning. Let's, let's jump into both of those things. So warning and a reason. Jesus first tells us here to watch our investment. That's in those first two verses, 19 and 20 of chapter 6. And there Jesus is going to tell us something that we can't do, as well as something that we absolutely must pursue. 
So here, verse 19 again. This is what we simply can't do. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. We can't afford to make the wrong investment. Now, we can't get confused as we start here. Jesus isn't condemning earning an income. He's not ruling out any earthly possessions at all. He's not outlawing all saving. He's not, of course, condemning the enjoyment of his gifts. He's telling us not to let our hearts get wrapped around them and to make them the primary investment of our life. He's ruling out the selfish accumulation of stuff and overly extravagant lifestyle. He's telling us not to get too comfortable here on earth to to put our hope in the things of this age. He doesn't want us to do that. Why is that? Well, he says clearly those things won't last. They wear out, they break down, they decay. Right, where moth and rust destroy. Or they get stolen, taken from us. Where thieves break in and steal. Now, back in Christ's day, people lived with just far more awareness of how transient everything was. Life was far more volatile, far more dangerous. We don't feel it quite as much today. We can fool ourselves. But then inflation may spike, and there goes the retirement account. Right? You may not worry about people breaking into your home. Maybe you do, but wow, someone could get you online and and take a bunch of money that way. We can fight off thoughts of death, but one day, as they they say, a hearse is going to drive us away, and there's not going to be a U-Haul trailing behind. There are preachers today that will tell you that God wants to bless you with all kinds of wealth, and others are the same ones that will tell you that what we really all need is a prosperous America, but they go directly against what the Lord Jesus says here. He says all of that stuff will one day be gone and we shouldn't spend our days trying to rack it all up. Jesus is in step here with the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes who says repeatedly that all that stuff is vanity. Vanity, it's like a vapor. Just goes away into the air. It's transient, it's temporary. Laying up earthly treasures will let us down, as Job once put it. Naked we came out of the womb, and naked we'll one day return. But what does Jesus say we must pursue? Verse 20 again. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, invest in things that last things that will outlast this life, that'll bear fruit for eternity. What could those things be? Well, loving our neighbors, giving to the poor, caring for God's people, laboring for justice, suffering for Christ, sharing his gospel, not grabbing after money and stuff, not hoarding it all for ourselves, but sharing it with others, living to be a blessing not just with our actual treasure, I would say, although that's primary, but also our time and our talents as well. As John Stott puts it, to lay up treasure in heaven is to do anything on earth whose effects last for eternity. Our actions can last forever. We can lay up treasures in heaven. And this is treasure, this is a gospel that cannot be stolen. Listen to how the apostle Peter puts it. 
He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we have this living hope, this gospel that can't be taken away. We have this inheritance. What's the inheritance? The kingdom of heaven, right? The king himself. And that's not going to get blown up when interest rates rise. Unlike those treasures on earth, these riches we have are secure. Now we're entering into the most materialistic time of the year. And we think after applying this passage, um, that um, and I, as we think about applying this passage, I want to call you to a couple of practices, a couple of rhythms that should characterize our lives. And the first is simplicity. Simplicity. So that's a word that we maybe throw up out a little bit more today. That does involve not having unnecessary things, but it also means having focus, having intentionality. So not being burdened, distracted by the things of this world, but also able to give ourselves fully to Christ, to his mission, simplicity. So maybe you have a storage shed full of junk. Maybe you have a few too many hobbies, or you're on social media in eight different ways, and you need to let some of it go so you can focus on Christ What might he be calling you and I to give up so that we can fully gain him? Simplicity. A second practice, this one is straightforward as well, generosity, right? Generosity. Maybe you've heard of a movement called the Advent Conspiracy. We talked about it a little bit back in the early days. They're still going strong. It's this group of believers and churches that have banded together around four values during the Advent season. Worship fully, Spend less, give more, love all. I think those are great values. How can we worship Christ while not giving in to all the consumerism and materialism? How can we share with those around us and especially those who are marginalized? How can we push against and undermine all the getting and grabbing that we see? You might want to check out their website. Wrestle with your family, with your roommates, with your missional community, With this question, in this season that's all about getting more and more, how can we flip that on its head and give? What might the king lead you to do here in Advent? You may have heard of the name Randy Alcorn, teacher, pastor, I think really helpful. He's written this book called The Treasure Principle that comes right out of this text. And this is the main principle. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I think it's a really great summary of this. We can choose up to lay up treasures in heaven. And that principle, again, sums up so well what we see here today. But then he gives six keys that fit with this principle that are so good. One, God owns every, everything. I'm his money manager or his stewards. My heart always goes where I put God's money. That's actually the point we're coming to next. Three, heaven, the new earth, not the present one, is my home. Four, I should live today not for the dot, but for the line. And what he means is not for this moment here on earth, but in light of eternity. Five, giving is the only antidote to materialism. 
And then six, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Here in Matthew 6, again, we see this main point God wants us to see. Watch where we invest our money and possessions, but I also think there's this bigger principle in play as well, and it's, it's just simply, what are we about? What's our passion? Are we people who live to build his kingdom? Is that what our heart's for, or are we about something else? All of those other things will disappoint. No, he or she will not complete you. That extra income will only make you want just a little bit more. I can rage about college football players running after cash. Just so you know, their talents have been used to make others rich for quite a while. But here's what I have to reckon with. If my team gets all the players and wins all the games, that still will not give me joy. If we knock off Kansas next Saturday, and we're going, by the way, Kylan, Merry Christmas. Even if we win a um, national title, that is not going to last. That is not going to fill us up, right? Flipping through TikTok is never going to fill that void. Not even getting a million views. Pinterest won't make you happy. Playboy certainly won't. It's all going to pass away. I love music. I love guitar. A few years ago, through a generous gift from my dad, I was able to buy this really nice Martin guitar that I've long wanted to buy. I love it. I got it home. I don't even think I had it for a couple of days. Um, I was sitting on the couch. I was playing it with joy, and in walks one of my kids. I think it was near Halloween. And he had one of those small suckers, you know, they call them the dum-dums, right? You've all had those, right? In his hand, and it's by grace, right, Kylan, right? But he has it in his hand, he throws it as hard as he can my way, and like a heat-seeking missile, like it hits the, the top of that guitar, right? And it leaves this indention. Now, I can see it. Um, It's not noticeable at all unless you're looking for it, right? But it upset me. It frustrated me. Later on, I was talking to Bobby, and I said, "Um, I think God was was trying to teach me something there. And he says, I'm pretty sure God directly threw that right at your guitar. (laughs) Scholars have pointed out that this command in verse 19, um, do not lay up treasures, could really better be translated, stop storing up treasures. Stop it. Right? What might God be saying to you? What might he be wanting you to stop? What could he be throwing your direction? And are you willing to notice? Are you willing to listen? He wants us to build up his kingdom to watch our investment. So that's the warning Jesus gives. Let's turn to the reason Jesus gives. He says, second, our character is at stake. Our character is at stake. Listen to verse 21 again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love the way one teacher pictures this. He says, you're walking through a field. You're trying to reach your destination on the other side. Now, if you picture a tree on that far edge, you know, if you keep that in view, you keep walking in that way, you don't get distracted, you're going to reach your destination. But if you take your eyes off that tree, even just a little bit, you're no doubt going to find yourself wander off course. Or if you're biking along a cliff, maybe, maybe you're over on the MKT over by Rocheport, 
If you keep your eyes focused down the trail at where you're going, you'll be good. You'll make it to safety. But if you focus too much on the river, too much on the scenery, maybe to your friend that you're biking with, you might just find yourself in danger. Where we focus, what we give ourselves to will determine what we become, where we end up, at our destination or in a ditch. Our focus shapes our heart. As Alcorn put it that I just read, my heart always go where I my heart always goes where I put God's money. Where we invest our treasure, but also our time and our talent, that determines what kind of people we'll be. So think about social media and what it does to our hearts or the effects of pornography on our brains or reading about politics and sports all day long. Those things become our loves. Those things consume our lives. They end up becoming our identity. They're what we're all about and they end up shrinking and darkening our hearts. But this also runs the other direction. So when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the cardiac muscle, but it's also not just talking about our emotions. As D.A. Carson explains it, the heart is the center of the personality embracing mind, emotions, and will. The heart. So the heart is impacted by our past, but then it ends up shaping our future. So think of it like a circle or maybe like a spiral that can go downward. Our focus shapes our heart. It makes us become who we are. But then that heart ends up determining our future, where we go from there. So if our hearts become more and more materialistic, or they're more and more obsessed with sex or news or fashion or sports, then they continue to run that direction. They continue, continue to look for more and more things that, that fill that hunger, and they're never, ever satisfied. And then they end up, those hearts, they spill over in things that hurt ourselves and others. So think of celebrities, you know, that get caught in a scandal today. First of all, their apologies are rarely ever apologies. You know, I'm sorry that I offended you or, or let my mom down or whatever, you know. Come on, let's as Christians apologize better than that. Let's really seek forgiveness. Let's own what we've done. But then, you know, they almost inevitably try to distance themselves from what's taken place. And they'll say something like this. You know what it is. That mistake I made that's not who I am. But hey, it actually is. It is. You can be forgiven. You can be changed. But as Jesus says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and he could have gone on with a whole bunch of other sins. But our investment shapes our character, and then out of our character, out of who we are, comes fruit either for good or bad. So again, Jesus here is giving the reason for his warning. And he's saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we give ourselves to determines our character. And God wants us to be people who live to reflect our king. But that's so much, friends, comes in the small things, in the little decisions not generally the big breakthroughs, but in the minute-by-minute minute choices as we go through the day and we 
answer the question, in what we do, where will we invest, it's those things that form our hearts. Author James K.A. Smith says that we're driven primarily by our desires, and our desires are shaped by our practices. So he argues, he uses this illustration, I know it's a bit dated, but he argues that our shopping malls are cathedrals to consumerism. And as we enter them, and as we shop in them, and we eat in the food court with our friends, and those practices, that, those rituals are shaping our hearts, and they're really discipling us to be consumerists. In the same way, he argues, that there are practices we can participate in that form us into kingdom citizens. So with that in mind, a couple more rhythms. First, take solitude. Solitude, now that's hard to come by in today's world, right? But if we want to have our hearts shaped by his grace, if we want to reflect the life of our king, we're going to have to get away in some way from all the noise, right? We have to find a place, some space, where we can hear from our king in his word, where we can talk to him in prayer. And we spend all of our time scrolling on our phones, finding things we can buy, We take very little time to hear what God has to say to us. We spend hours a day reading articles, maybe about politics, and then we wonder why our hearts are so dry. How might you need to change heading into a new year? How can you make that kind of space in your life so that you can be before God so that he can work on your heart? This is kind of a shameless plug, but we, we, we have our new field guides for private worships that are out in the um, basket out front in the, at the resource table. It's a resource that's really designed to help you connect with God in worship, and they're free. I would encourage you to grab one as you go out. There'll also be a digital version available as well. What might God be asking you to adjust, again, so that he can form you into his likeness? Now, maybe you say, hey, it's great, Kevin, you're talking about reading the Bible. Um, I just don't feel like it, and I'm just not sure how my heart's going to change. I would say, hear verse 21 again. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can't just wait till we feel like it, right? We can't wait until our hearts just somehow happen to change. We seek to obey, to change our investment, to lay up treasures, and then we trust that God will work and our hearts will follow. Here's the second thing, fellowship. Fellowship, now this may seem to contradict what I just said, but yeah, we, there are times to be alone, to, to listen to God, but we need each other so, so much. I just finished up um, a great book, Into the Wild by John Krakauer. You, you should check it out or, or watch the film but they're both great. But this, this guy, Chris McCandless, you know, leaves everything he has. He moves to Alaska you know, to just get in touch with nature, to soak it all in. Um, he, on the way, he, he really just walks away from all these great relationships. Right as he's about to, to get close, he, he moves somewhere else. But his goal is to get out in nature, to just be there again, and to be tr- transformed by that. But, you know, he, he arrives, he finally makes it, he's, he's looking at all the gorgeous scenery, he has no one to share the sunsets with, you know, he has no one beside him to take in the mountain views, and he ends up dying because he swallows the wrong kind of seeds. We're, we're meant to experience community in this life, 
It's meant for our joy, but also to keep us from danger. I saw some smiles from a few people out there. Like, he tells you that at the beginning of the book, just so you know, so I didn't really spoil it. Um, We need each other. And as we come here and as we add our voices to the songs, as we open up our Bibles, as we hear God's word, as we share in the meal up at this table, as we fill up our coffee mugs and we, we catch up with our brothers and sisters, all those practices together God uses to shape our hearts. They mold our desires. They, they protect us from driving off the cliff. God uses others to make us about his kingdom, to make us look like our king. You may feel like you just can't change. You may feel helpless. You may think that things will always be the same. Ask for help from the spirit of God, but also from your brothers and sisters. God's put us in community for one another. So here's the problem again with laying up treasures on earth. Yes, they disappoint. We talked about that, but they also distort, right? They change us and not in a good way. They're like the ring, the ring of power. You know, that Gollum gets in his grasp and the Lord of the Rings. They change us. They, they, they make us not what we're intended to be. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. And these transient things, they, they turn us inward. They make us less and less human. But God wants us to protect our character and he wants us to live and reflect the king. As we pursue Jesus, he makes us beautiful. And Jesus is the treasure that we so much long for. One day, we'll make our way to the parables all the way in chapter 13. And we'll dig into what Jesus says about the gospel there. In in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He's worth giving up everything for. Why would we try to gain all the things of this world and give up what our soul was made for, what it so desperately wants? When we run after his kingdom, we look more like its king. We become more and more human. He turns us, remakes us into his image, and then we end up shining for the world around us. So I want to ask, what could the Lord be saying about what you treasure? How do you need to repent? What needs to change? Because God wants us to live to reflect our king. As I look around today, I I see a a fairly young group. You can look at older people than you, um, maybe even your parents, and you can think, I want to be different. I don't want my life to go that way. Well, think about what Jesus says here. If you don't want to be a person that's superficial, or maybe evil, start now in the small things. And think about how you're investing. With Matthew 6.33 that we'll get to soon, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You say you don't want your life to go into the ditch? Then guard your heart first and foremost. As Proverbs 4.23 puts it, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Don't be like the rich fool. Do you know that story that Jesus tells him in Luke 12? This rich man gets really rich with all kinds of grain. He builds, he decides bigger barns to to hold more and more of it, and he just resolves to sit back, 
to rest, to eat, eat, drink, and be merry all his days. And what does God say to this man? Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And then Jesus explains the parable this way. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Laying up treasures on earth never brings joy or peace. They disappoint us, right? They, they break down, stuff gets stolen. But our pursuit of those things also wrecks our lives. They distort who we are. But there's a bigger problem, of course, after we run, as we run after these things. Um, I said at the beginning that, that this is, is going into a section where Jesus is addressing the problem, the danger of idolatry. Idolatry, we exchange our creator for things that he's made. We turn them into idols, we fall before them. Worst of all, when we lay up treasures on earth, we are dishonoring him. Now, of course, most of us, we don't bow down to statues of metal or stone, but we serve false gods, we give our lives to them. And as we do, our hearts end up with them as well. I began talking about what comes before this passage, but what do we see following? Well, this extended teaching of Jesus on the problem of worry, right? Why are we so often filled with anxiety and fear? I think a big reason is is that we're focused on storing up treasures on earth, on accumulating and protecting those things, things that can't last, and we're not focused on the stability and reliability of the king and his kingdom. Materialism, consumerism is a soul-crushing religion. Trying to serve and worship stuff, warding off decay, fighting off thieves, it leaves us a nervous wreck. And we, we end up, we're trying to ease our anxiety by somehow taking control of it all, and it never works, it makes things worse. But in the sovereign, loving God, arms of God, there's peace. So much I am today comes from my mom, I don't want to disrespect her memory for sure, but she was just overly concerned with taking care of her stuff. You know, in the, in the home growing up, cleanliness definitely superseded godliness. Um, there was no doubt there. And she was kind of an anxious mess. Um, the things of this world, we can't possibly manage them. Um, the things in your home are not going to stand up to rambunctious teenagers, learning that firsthand. Um, The house was her focus. Dirt and disorganization were the enemy, along with anyone that seemed to fight on their behalf. But now she's gone. All that effort was lost, and someone else bought the house, the one I grew up in, and it's been completely, I mean totally, trashed. What Jesus says here is so true. All this stuff is one day going to be gone, and what we give ourselves to will determine who we will become. But here's the good news, the gospel. God has made us his treasure. We're the lost sheep he's run after. We're the lost coin that he had to find. He takes people who run after the stuff of this world and he miraculously transforms their hearts. He comes to people like Zacchaeus, like you, like me, selfish, greedy people. And he makes us new. He gives us a new identity. That sin then no longer is who we are. And he begins to refashion us into his image. That's what Jesus does. 
So I would just say, let's together humbly climb that tree, call out to him, and let's ask him to turn our lives upside down, really right side up. Let's pray. God, forgive us for um, just staring at the ground and not um, looking up in the sky. Forgive us for focusing on this world and things that won't satisfy. Forgive us for a sin that dishonors you, that sends the wrong message about who you are. Um, Forgive us, I pray. Um, We ask you, Lord, as um, followers of, of you, to enable us by your spirit to live in line with our identity, to um, walk in line with kingdom values, to be people that are um, characterized by simplicity and generosity, that, are, that live out solitude, that really depend upon fellowship. Um, allow what we see in this passage to really transform our thinking, to, to shape our hearts. Um, we want to please you, Lord. Um, forgive us, I pray, Lord, but we're thankful that um, your grace rescues us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.